0: This episode brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash podshock. Over 85,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. This episode also supported by the Podshock Podcast Companion app for the iPhone, iPad, and iPod Touch, now in the iTunes App Store. Live from Bourbon Street, it's Doctor Who Podshock. <laughs> The Embassy presents Doctor Who Podshock episode 297. This is Louis Trapani, and joining me on this podcast is, well, actually, it's just me, Louis Trapani. Yes, I'm flying solo for this mission, and there's a reason for that. We are, uh, actually, as you may or may not know, probably if, you, if you're if you a long-time listener, you know that we do live shows on the internet reviewing new episodes of Doctor Who, and unfortunately there won't be a new episode of Doctor Who until August of 2014, so that gives us several months um, without doing uh, live episodes recorded on the net. And live recorded episodes are always good to do, it's uh, it's a good way to connect with our listeners live, to get live feedback, uh, to be on the pulse of um, Doctor Who fandom, and, uh, and of course new episodes that are being released. Since there are any no, new episodes being released right now, we still would like to do a live episode from time to time, maybe once a month. We have some live episodes coming up that we'll be offering to you, and we'll be announcing them as they are ready to be announced. Uh, we did have a—we uh, did intended to do a live show this week, but the topic and the guests that we were going to have for the live episodes, uh, just scheduling it all— Uh, didn't really work out for this week. So, we're going to put it off to another time. We're still going to do it, but we're going to put it off until the schedules can all can come together and we can do it properly. So, we'll do, uh, we'll probably, um, don't know when that that will be, but we'll do another live show uh, probably in its place with a different topic, different guests, and so forth. So, that still needs to be arranged. So, um, but it left a gap for this week that was originally intended to be a live show. So, um, that's why I'm here doing this solo and Dave will be back next time for our next episode, possibly with Ian, possibly with, um, Tarasso, who knows, maybe Graham as well. So we're We'll be back with multiple hosts coming back to you in our next episode. And this one is going to be a special episode. Oh, All episodes are special. Come on. <laughs> you know that in this episode, we're including a classic interview from Colin Baker in New Orleans from 1985, July, 1985. And we're going to be doing several of these classic interviews. Um, I have the privilege of cleaning up some of these old interviews that were recorded for the Chuck Rabb show. And some of them we did already transmit or um, have on Dr. Upachuk before. But we uh, so forgive. Uh, the, I don't think we had this one, but we may have we may run some previously run interviews only because these are new digital recordings that I'm doing it myself. So uh, hopefully the the quality is better than what we had before. Before any further ado, let's go into the news section. From time to time here in the U.S., sometimes we see new U.S. shows that are based on previous or current British hits, television shows. We've had some successes of that in the U.S. Going back to, uh, to the early to mid-70s, there were a lot of Sitcoms that were very popular in the U.S., All in the Family, um, Three's Company, um, various shows that uh, that have origins actually in the U.K. that were based originally off of U.K. shows. Of course, they were they were made their own here in the U.S. They had their own uh, branding and an identity, and often the names had changed. Um, in recent years, not so much. Uh, so there are some possible exceptions. Uh, I know The Office is pretty popular here in the US, though I, I still uh, prefer the, the original UK version of The Office. Some not so successful uh, translations, you know, uh, there was uh, Life on Mars, there's um, various others. Uh, I, I can't speak to Elementary, which is um, basically a, um, a version of Sherlock because i haven't seen elementary so it'd be unfair for me to categorize that in any shape way or form so there's always this fear <laughs> that there's going to be a doctor who u.s version um and it comes up from now you know over the years now and then and we've addressed it plenty of times in the past on doctor who pod so Uh, This time, Stephen Moffat is weighing in. I don't believe this is his first time weighing in either. So, but he has dismissed the possibility of a U.S.-made version of Doctor Who. Quote, if anyone were to ask me, I'd say it's an absolutely insane idea. You couldn't have more than one Doctor Who in the world. It would be just dreadful, end quote. He said, speaking to BBC News, Sherlock and Doctor Who are both doing rather well but they couldn't be more definitively British. They're obtusely British. They're about as British as it gets. End quote. Stephen Moffat had declined to make Sherlock for the US network CBS. And instead they created their own version, as I mentioned before, of Sherlock Holmes called Elementary. Stephen Moffat adds, quote, I don't own Sherlock Holmes. We don't even own the idea of updating Sherlock Holmes. That's been done before, several times, actually. So there's no action to be taken, end quote. Well, I'm grateful that hopefully we won't see a U.S. version of Doctor Who. I mean, if the U.S. had to make a version of Doctor Who, they would have to make it in the U.K. (laughs) They would have to hire U.K. British actors and actresses. They would have to uh, get a, a British crew and make it in the U.K., and therefore, it really wouldn't be a U.S. version. <laughs> so, so it kind of defeats the whole purpose. So just, uh, you know, my friends, my U.K. friends, my my British pals, just keep making Doctor Who and um, keep it there. It's, it's always been a British institution. It's part of the attraction to the series for me. And, and I know I can speak on behalf of other U.S. fans and possibly Australian fans and Canadian fans and fans all over the world, part of the appeal of Doctor Who is its Britishness. So we want to keep that in the series. The biggest news last autumn outside of the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who was the recovery of two lost episodes, or I should say two lost stories of Doctor Who, and that is um, Enemy of the World and Web of Fear, so there are two Patrick Troughton stories, uh, back-to-back stories that were recovered in Nigeria. And it was uh, – so it was recovered by the, the Television International Enterprises and Archives Limited with uh, Philip Morris um, the, being the executive director that had uh, recovered uh, the film that, that, was, um, that was there in Nigeria – uh, for a project and saw a shelf with uh, a label on it that said Doctor Who and it turns out that um, there were film cans of missing episodes uh, of Doctor Who. Unfortunately, not all of them, but you know we are very grateful that we got what we did and, and also hats off and kudos to the restoration team that cleaned them up and um, made them what they are today. They were available on iTunes and now they're being released on dvd so uh but the rumors continue on new found previously lost stories and uh, that are being recovered so um unfortunately there's no news to tell on this front you know the the search continues on i don't think there's any truth to these uh a lot of these rumors that are saying that all of them have been found and they're just waiting to release them all. I I I would be I would I hope I'm wrong. I hope that that rumor is true, but I I suspect it's not. And uh you know, I think if we're a patient we may see some other doctor stories come to light. Uh, hopefully they 'll be found in places that um you know that that, that where where hopefully they 're still searching you know over the years sometimes us fans we have given up some hope on recovering these after you go through so many years of nothing being found, and then all of a sudden they find some stuff and then your hopes are you know are arisen are, are again so so basically what Philip Morris is saying is to expect the unexpected. Whatever that means. Quote To the fans, never give a hope. Be patient. People are working very hard in lots of very volatile and dangerous corners of the globe, sometimes paying with their nervous systems, which is a hard thing to give. As always, the Television International Enterprises and Archives Limited are out there. Expect the unexpected. End quote. So, <laughs> we'll have to keep on expecting the unexpected of course it's not just the doctor who stories that they're looking for other british television series um from that era had have been lost and they look you know they're looking to uh retain that bit of history from other programs as well so uh when we hear more news about it we'll relay it to you so let's all be patient and hopefully some you know (laughs) hopefully we can expect the unexpected Soon, but I wouldn't hold your breath. Are you experienced? The Doctor Who experience, that is. For those not familiar with it, it's an attraction in Cardiff, Wales, in the UK, and it's uh, up until now it's been based on. It it features Matt Smith, and it's based on his, his 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 adventures. It's a walkthrough experience that Matt Smith has shot some um, footage that that they show there. And now, of course, as you know, Matt Smith's tenure as the Doctor has come to an end. And Peter Capaldi is the new 12th Doctor, and his stories are beginning in August. So sometime in the autumn of of 2012 this year, I'm sorry, 2014 this year, it's understood that The switchover will be taking place from Matt Smith to Peter Capaldi for the Doctor Who Experience. So Peter Capaldi is going to be shooting some new material that will take the place of the Matt Smith's material. So the exact dates aren't known at this time. So if you do want to catch the Matt Smith version of the Doctor Who Experience, you better get there, you know, before this change takes place and again we don't have exact dates to give you so it's the doctor who experience um in cardiff and then um you may want to return again to see the peter capaldi version of it so um just a heads up there and again this isn't surprising this um you know we we, you know we can say that we've seen this coming all right well that's going to round out our new section for this episode We'll be back with more Doctor Who Podshock, including a classic interview with Colin Baker, the sixth Doctor.
1: You're listening to Doctor Who Podshock. This
2: is Colin Baker.
0: Podshock. So in keeping with the Colin Baker theme of this episode of Doctor Who Podshock, our free Selection, our free choice, our, our suggestion for the free audio book, rather for this week's episode is a Colin Baker story. This is a classic uh, vintage radio for adventure called slip back. Dr. Who slip back. It's by Eric Sayward, uh, who's uh formerly the, the script editor for Dr. Who. And it stars Colin Baker, Nicola Bryant and Valentine Dale starring in the episode so it's uh as I said it was a BBC Radio 4 adventure so it's not a a audiobook where it's narrated it's actually a radio adventure in and it's being packaged as an audiobook via Audible but let me remind you about Audible. Audible is the premier provider of digital audiobooks. Audible has over 150,000 titles to choose from in all different genres be it of course, science fiction, they have like like 200 or 160. I, they have a lot of Doctor Who titles, uh, but it's not just sci-fi. They have comedy, they have business, they have romance, thrillers, you name it. Audible has it. Audible titles will play on your iPhone, Kindle, Android, over 500 devices for listening anytime and anywhere. And for you, listeners of Doctor Who Podshock, Audible is offering a free audio book audio book download with a free 30-day trial so you have a chance to check out their service. And if you decide, well, you know what, it's not for me, fine. Keep your free audio book. You get to keep it. It's yours to keep forever and ever. So to download your free audio book, simply go to audibletrial.com. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash podchock for your free audio book. And if you're driving or you just can't remember, you can't do, go to that URL right now, no problems. Go to our website, podchock.net, and you'll find the uh, links to the offer there as well. Now, as I, suge- as I said before, our suggestion for uh, a possible selection for your free audio book, you could choose whatever you like, but uh, each time, each week on Dr. U we like to give a suggestion Play a little bit of it, so you get a little taste of it. This is Doctor Who Slipback. As I said, it's a BBC Radio Four adventure, originally starring Colin Baker, Nicola Bryant, and Valentine Dale, and it deals with time experimentation that the Doctor and, and Perry um, encounter on a um, on, on in deep space on on this uh, huge spacecraft. So, um, well, I won't tell you about it. Here's a little clip of it. You can hear it for yourself.
3: Doctor. Doctor,
4: wake up. Uh, Oh, what do you think you're doing?
3: Doing? I'm waking you up. What do you think I'm doing?
4: I had a voice inside my head that was trying to tell me something.
3: Well, I'm sorry to interrupt your dreaming. It's just that something rather frightening has happened.
4: You don't understand, Perry. It was much more than a dream.
3: After what you drank last night, I'm sure it was.
4: What? Come to think of it, when was last night? On second thoughts, don't answer that question.
3: Do you not recall a small drinking establishment on Zurok Minor? Full of very strange people.
4: Now you mention it, that's right. We stopped to ask directions.
3: And three bottles of Voxnik later, we left. Is that what it was? It was hardly fruit juice, I had some myself.
4: Ah, I am a little naive when it comes to this sort of thing. Three bottles worth? I was very thirsty, I drank it very quickly. Didn't notice till I'd finished the last bottle. Anyway, in spite of last night, I'm still convinced the voice I heard was trying to tell me something important.
3: Like the fact that TARDIS has materialized.
4: Already? That's quick.
3: But not where we're supposed to be. That isn't good. We're still in deep space, alongside an enormous freighter. It's gigantic. It's so large, I can't get the scanner screen to zoom out far enough to get it all in.
4: How odd. I wonder what caused it to materialize. Well, I
3: don't know. But she isn't very happy. At least the console isn't. It it started to wink, flash, and grunt like some dirty old man in a park. Really? Yes. That's why I woke you up. I I was scared.
4: Interesting. That I was scared? That I should hear a voice as the TARDIS makes an impromptu materialization.
5: Bridge. This is Grant. Oh, damn it. Computer. Computer.
6: Why, hello there, Mr. Grant It's so nice to hear from you again The
5: talkback is malfunctioning
6: Is it really? I'm so sorry to hear that I'll get a maintenance drone off to it at once Mind you, I can't promise anything (sighs) There are so many things happening aboard this ship I no longer understand You know, I keep hearing voices It's all very confusing (gasps) Sorry
5: What's the matter with you? You're only programmed to sound like a dizzy dame. You're not supposed to act like one. (gasps) Are you drunk?
6: Machines don't drink alcohol.
5: Have you informed the captain what's happened?
6: I have indeed, and he's very concerned. In fact, he's become quite ill from worry.
5: Oh, how
6: ill? It's difficult to tell. But I have the feeling if he doesn't hear some good news soon, he could get very bad. As a matter of fact, he would quite like to see you.
5: Any chance there might be some reassuring snippet I could pass on?
6: I'm almost too terrified to inquire. The last time I did, all the search party had managed to find were the dead men's boots. Come
4: on! Come on!
3: It wasn't like that a few
4: minutes ago. Sorry. You said there was a grunting noise from the console? That's right. It went... Are you sure?
3: You don't think I'd invent a stupid noise like that. That's it. That's
4: the sound I heard. That's bad. How bad? Very bad. That noise indicates time spillage. It's what caused the TARDIS to materialize alongside that ship. Someone on board is experimenting with time. That could damage the space-time continuum. It could destroy the past and future history of the universe. let find out what's going on.
5: There you are, Mr. Grant. The Captain is very impatient to see you. I came as soon as I could. If you wouldn't mind slipping into this sterilized gown, sir. Oh, of course. How unwell is the Captain? Oh, very unwell, sir. You know how personally it takes everything. I've had to confine him to a lava bath, and it has proven necessary to drain his sinuses four times in the last hour. Uh, I see. That's unwell, is he? Poor Captain is a martyr to his responsibilities, sir. The trouble is, he always manages to give his wretched diseases to everyone else on board. Well, even when the patient is isolated, contagious infection is very difficult to contain. Maybe. That we no sooner go down with whatever he has psychosomatically created than he gets better. The Captain has an amazing constitution. Conveniently so. Then let's hope you have sufficiently good news to prevent his further deterioration. This way, sir. <sighs> Mr. Grant to see you, Captain.
3: Okay. I hope the whole ship isn't like this.
4: shouldn't think so. We materialize in the service ducting.
3: That figures. You always find the most inhospitable place to park.
4: I want to have a look around before I announce my presence.
3: What will you do when you find the people responsible for the time experiments?
4: Inform of the danger. Advise them of the fact that such experiments are highly illegal.
3: What, what was that? We should get back to the TARDIS. Oh, no. What is that thing?
4: I'm almost too frightened to look.
3: It's between us and the TARDIS. What do we do?
0: Run, Fimmy! Run! Again, that's Dr. Hugh's (laughs) slip-back... um and uh, that could be your free audiobook selection again to remind you to download your free audiobook simply go to audibletrial.com slash podshock again that's audibletrial.com slash podshock for your free audiobook And we're back with dr who pod and again this is lewis trapani and as promised what follows next is a classic interview with colin baker the sixth doctor now this was recorded back in july 14th 1985 it was originally on the chuck rab show and it's being replayed rebroadcast here with consent and thanks to chuck rab for that it's um, i much appreciate it and um what i'm doing is um I'm cleaning up some of these, these original tapes, these analog tapes, and digitalizing them, and um, hopefully uh, making them a little bit more clear and uh, presentable for Doctor Who Pachak. So, um, there, there are going to be some that we may have played already in past episodes of Doctor Who Pachak, but even still, I mean, it's always good to re listen and re visit these interviews that they're, they're, they're historical now so um but hopefully now they'll be cleaner if 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 we do rerun a, a one that we had done already previously uh, I don't think we've done this one though so this is in New Orleans um it's um it takes place during um I believe the hiatus the first hiatus of Doctor Who this is, so Colin talks about his costume and his uh his concept of what he thought would be a nice costume which um, actually coincides to what he still says today so <laughs> he didn't change his tune so uh, well not that he would so this is an interesting interview that takes place during that time of that, that hiatus time uh, Colin Baker is still relatively new as the Doctor and, you know, it's in hindsight, some of it's kind of sad because, you know, he talks about how he wants to continue the role and, you know, where he's not going to give it up. And, uh, um, you know, un- unfortunately, this is when the BBC, well, the BBC controller at the time allegedly was somewhat interfering with the show and whatever. I, I'm not going to get into that whole situation. We've already covered that in the past. So the, the series would actually return with Trial of a Time Lord. And um, But unfortunately, th- th- there's more troubles ahead for, uh, um, you know, that's unforeseeable at this time for Colin Baker and the show, uh, unfortunately. So without any further ado, let's go to that interview. Again, set your TARDIS coordinates to uh, 1985, July, New Orleans. Hello,
7: this is Chuck Rabb Show, WPB in Philadelphia. I'm your host for this interview, Peggy Seymour, and my co-host is Diane Lindblom. We're at the North American Time Festival 2, Panopticon, New Orleans, and our guest today is Mr. Colin Baker, who plays the part of The Doctor in the ever popular British TV series, Dr. Who. Hello.
1: Quite right, thank you. Hello.
7: How are you today?
1: I'm very well, thank you. We're
7: covering, I hope, from all the festivities and fun. It's
1: been a great weekend. We've enjoyed ourselves enormously here, and uh, it's not over yet. We've got another day to go, and it's delightful to be sitting here this morning with you two charming ladies.
7: Oh, good. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're
1: missing a lot here, listeners, by not being able to see (laughs) Diane and Peggy. We're quite delightful. (laughs) Precious dates.
7: I guess we have to uh, ask you a question I'm sure you've been asked a hundred times. When you were offered the part of the doctor, what was your initial initial reaction to the offer?
1: My first reaction was one of great astonishment, preceded within a point one of a millisecond by great delight and about half a second later, with an urge to accept. Okay. That's, uh, oh yeah, that sums it up. It, the, the, the amazing, because it wasn't actually what I was expecting John Nathan Turner to say to me at that particular time. I didn't know what he wanted to say to me. He asked me to come and see him. But uh, I had not actually travelled that far down the path of Wild Wrees. And it is a path which every actor in England does want to play.
7: Being as the show has been in existence for 20-some odd years, very apprehensive about taking the part that was so well established and had its guidelines. And you have a free hand for creative uh, interpretation, and you have to stay within certain guidelines. We're at all uh, apprehensive about that.
1: It sounds awful, but I wasn't in the slightest. I mean, I, I suppose I was supposed to sit here and say, My gosh, yes, I was really frightened of the, of the awesome burden that I was taking on. <laughs> All I felt was excitement and longing to get on with it. The worst bit about it was the, the fact that uh, we agreed that I should play the part in, I think, around about June or July of whichever year it was. I'm I long. Yeah, it must have been now. And I didn't get to start on it until Christmas. So I had sort of five or six months of being all geared up, ready to go, not actually going. And uh, all I felt during that time was enthusiasm to get on with it. And indeed, that's, I mean, to anticipate probably a further question you're about to ask me, in terms of the hiatus which we are currently undergoing, that is the irritating thing about it, that I've just got into a full flood with the part, and suddenly I'm brought to a halt for a year. And uh, uh, apart from all other considerations, like you know, I'm natural, I have to work, etc., it's, it's really being inter- interrupted in doing something that's uh, very important to me now.
7: Yes, for those who don't know, Dr. Who has been put on an 18-month hiatus by the BBC and is sitting in a closet right now, waiting to emerge again and go into full-blown production.
1: It's pupating, really. It's in, a, it's in a kind of chrysalis. It'll burst out as the most beautiful butterfly you ever saw. Does
7: that mean you're changing your costume? Uh, couldn't
1: it be a greater, more beautiful butterfly than that costume? I don't know about the costume. Those decisions are mine. I wouldn't mind if it was altered slightly. I mean, I've, I've noticed over the years that... Even though the essence of a costume remains the same. I mean, Tom Baker's changed, um, not considerably, but did change several times. So, yeah. I, at this point, I wouldn't mind a change of some kind. But uh, the costume is uh, quite something, isn't it? Yeah.
7: Yeah. It's was... never
1: I, I think, basically, I mean, the way I viewed the costume was well, when we started off, we had to decide on something. I bought books of costumes of the ages and design books, and I, I really couldn't come up with an idea for the only costume that I really thought I would like would be one that's already been collared by the master that kind of black totally sort of austere look in retrospect I was probably wrong John Nathan Turner's idea which I think was a good one was that the costume could be totally tasteless and then the designers came up with that costume that we all know and love now and I think that the, the mental attitude of the doctor when choosing it was clothes don't actually matter at a boot and that makes a statement of some kind so let's have it I don't think uh, Dr. M6 cares about clothing it. things. It's all rather than we think.
7: I think that that goes with I'm the doctor like it or not. Yeah. <laughs> Same attitude.
1: my jacket like it or not? Yes.
7: <laughs> We've noticed that uh, in Twin Dilemma, you had one that was extremely bright and that a lot of people call, call a checked color dream coat. And then in the rest of your season, your first season, the colors seem to have toned down somewhat. Was there a reason for that, because of the CSO procedures, or...?
1: I'm surprised to you said that, because it's exactly the same code, um, without any question. there's not a detailed change in that costume from Twin Dilemma to the next season. All that might have happened is that your uh, expectation <laughs> of the costume, uh, in the interim between Twin Dilemma and seeing it again, uh, exceeded the actuality. You probably thought, my God, that was horrendous. And when you saw it again, you thought, it, perhaps, it wasn't so bad, but it was the same costume. Unless something's happened in your seeing of it, did you see it? Uh,
7: Saw uh, within a few months of each other. I think and the, the quality said. of the tapes have not been terrific because all the colours are off. You really look yes. at them; mm, all the colours are off. Because obviously,
1: what, what, the tapes you have been seeing aren't the official tapes, aren't they? They, uh, are
7: they? they And one's brought to convention. Oh, to the
1: convention so that's what right. <laughs> I thought. Perhaps you were talking about 17th generation. That, uh, I understand the fans get hold of copies of your shirt. I find it very hard to read.
7: <laughs> I may have seen one, but I don't own one. <laughs> <laughs> We're all quite innocent about that. When Colin Baker is done taping and leaves the studio and goes home, what is Colin Baker like to do with this?
1: Colin Baker, when he's working, doesn't have much time to do anything with, actually. When you're actually recording the show, it's, it's a fairly full-time occupation, because uh, I mean, the day-to-day running of one's life is about all you can fit into the interim. But the things that I would like to do, uh, I enjoy playing tennis, I enjoy watching television, I enjoy reading books, I enjoy sitting in the garden walking with dogs, I've got dogs and cats. I live out in the country, so I enjoy seeing my friends. Um, fairly sort of mundane activities, really. I used to invent exciting activities I used to indulge in because I thought these interviews sounded so tame, you know. that I used to, uh, I once said I had lapidary as a hobby, which as you probably know is the collection and polishing of stones and rocks and things like that. And I was inundated with books on lapidary, so uh, I think the truth is probably better. No, I just do those things. Uh, normal people do. Really.
7: What about your skydiving? Well, yeah, I do
1: do a bit of that, <laughs> that's true. Um, I was too modest to bring it up. Uh, I have parachuted once. I did it for charity with a group called the Red Devils, who are the, the sort of public show wing of the, the parachute regiment in England. Um, they were very highly regarded. And they are arguably the, the best and most famous in England, and arguably the most uh, accomplished in the world. And um, and they need money for a new airplane, because all the stuff they do is for charity, is not part by the government, and they have to raise it by themselves. So I joined in on uh, their fundraising by jumping with John Nathan Turner, who is a producer of Doctor Who, Sarah Lee, his uh, associate, and um, Eric Sayward, who is a script
0: editor and writes many of the stories. And the four of us generated a great deal of press interest
1: by jumping with the Red Devils. Perhaps I'm foolish, but I wasn't the slightest bit frightened. but I enjoyed it enormously. And surprisingly, I'm now determined to take it up as a hobby. It's interesting that you asked me that question earlier, and I miss it out, isn't it? I talk about watching television reading books. <laughs> but uh, they have promised me that they will take me and teach me freeform. Uh, I just jumped from 2,000 feet last time on a fixed line, which is an automatic opening uh, I shall do that a few more times, and then when they consider that I'm sufficiently accomplished, I shall hurl myself from an the aeroplane and free fall thousands of feet." It's a wonderful succession.
7: What does the producer, John Nathan Turner, feel that you're wanting to take this up, there uh, um, I, I,
1: I haven't actually discussed it with him. Perhaps I ought to. <laughs> there is an element of the BBC contract which precludes such activities. And I suppose during a year's sabbatical, as it were, they're uh, confident enough that they can either recast if I'm eliminated, or I will recover from any broken limb in time for filming next March. Uh, perhaps they will be a little firmer with me next year
7: let's hope it doesn't come to broken limbs or replacements
1: <laughs> I think I concur with that <laughs> yes.
7: jumping out of a plane may be suicidal but uh, wanting something to happen is not no. um, before you said you enjoy reading what books, what type of books do you enjoy reading?
1: surprisingly, because um, I, I know that most of my predecessors haven't had have this uh, uh, characteristic but I do read science fiction And always have done. Um, I do feel sometimes a little bit, um, not ashamed, but I feel that I ought to be reading some of the more serious literature. And I buy the Booker Prize winners and the the famous novels of our day, and I sit on my shelf, and I think, I will read that one day. And I don't. I tend to read my Anne McCaffreys and my Ursula Dugan's and Isaac Asimov's and um, Dune books, the latest ones I've been reading, sometimes I have a chance to read is uh, are the Thomas Covenant uh, double trilogy which I enjoy enormously. Mervyn Peake is a very famous of mine, the gast trilogy which is you not know, in science fiction that's into the realms of gothic fantasy. If you haven't read the Mervyn Peake books i nice, stronger more than one um, But I, I do like escapist literature and that's what all that is. And I, I think science fiction for a long time has been not accorded its true merit. I mean the, all it is, is a genre in which writers can have a limitless imagination. I mean, you can write in science fiction your Charles Dickens book or your Wuthering Heights or your social comment or satire or whatever. The, the scope is endless. All you're doing is saying that you're no longer limited to the um, experience of the earth has had up to today. I think it expands the horizons
4: of potential literature. It's a wonderful book.
7: We understand that you have a new baby daughter, Lucy. Are you very proud of her? She seems to be a very intelligent little girl so far at 17 weeks.
1: How very perceptive you are, yes. (laughs) Obviously a potential genius. We've uh, we've already planned which Oxford College she'll be going to uh, her first degree. It's very interesting. There was a a girl in England who uh, obtained entrance to Oxford University to read maths at the age of 13. Maybe the youngest she was on television recently and she's already got a double first and quadruple honours and an absolute genius and we're already thinking in our minds that Lucy is probably going to get the same complications (laughs) at about the age of three (laughs) but I do think that most parents have that kind of uh, fond attitude to their children Um, she's a delight all I can say is that all those of you who have had children who are listening to this know exactly what I mean Uh, it is not uh, an experience that I had Fully appreciated the the whole result before it happened, and uh, there is something about looking at that little four month old bundle of giggles that smiles at you that makes everything very firmly in its correct perspective. I know what the important things are now.
7: I guess the eighteen uh, month hiatus is kind of nice in the fact that you get that one year for- of.
1: It's wonderful. It means, I mean, I've publicly called this paternity leave. I think it's very uh, enlightened with the BBC to institute paternity leave, because maternity leave is a, a well-established precedent, but uh, to allow the father to have a year um, to enjoy his baby excellent, package.,
7: What are your plans for the future? I know Dr. Pooh, I know they will have to pry you out of that part with a crowbar. <laughs> You're quoting me, (laughs) I admit it, that's a direct quote from you. Um, But uh, what are, do you have any plans? Well, um, it's quite interesting that
1: uh, during this year's hiatus, I thought there would be a lot of other things happening. I suppose I've put myself out of the way of it by deliberately not going out seeking it. Um, I've been offered lots of theatre work. Uh, one of the things that happened in England is that uh, if you're well in on television, you get asked to go appear in the theatre, because it means that people will come to the theatre to see you because you're on television. Um, but those are mainly tours, which means you have know, a week in one time, a week in another. And that's what I don't want to do uh, at this particular time. I've done quite a lot of that in the past. And I suppose in the eyes of the television community, until I stop being Doctor Who, I am very firmly established as that character. It means that for the duration of, of the typecast, I don't suspect I will afterwards. It's, uh, it's been fairly well established that uh, ex doctors have been quite quickly assimilated into the, into the general body of the acting profession again. Peter days done an enormous amount since he, since he finished. Patrick Claver never stops, John Pertry never stops, and Tom's been working at the National Theatre since he you left. Know, So I'm I'm not that worried about the time passing problem afterwards, but I think the problem is during uh, the time we are doing Doctor Who. So until I finish in 27 years' time, um, (laughs) there there are no immediate plans. I shall be doing pantomime, which I think Um. is well known to uh, American people now. It's it's nothing to do with mime or vaudeville. It's a traditional Christmas entertainment. that uh, children and families go to uh, over the Christmas period that tells traditional stories. And I shall be doing a laddie uh, in London over Christmas this year, in which I shall play the character Wishy Washy, like <laughs> <it? laughs>
7: <laughs>
1: <laughs> who is uh, a sort of comedy character. And for, the sad thing is, I, when I, I used to do pantomime on British stage, I always used to play the villains, uh, which are great fun, I would think. Characters like King Rat and uh, Abernaza, who is the wicked magician in the land. But of course, I can't do it there because the producers don't. Well, the actor who plays Doctor Who, who the children like, to be on stage in an unsympathetic part. So I have to play the, play a nice part. That's a shame, it's I'll nasty one. Oh,
7: you were saying you do do theatre. Which medium do you prefer to work in, and do you have a preference?
1: I don't, I,
7: I suppose if I had to
1: choose which medium I would like to work in for the rest of my career, which excluded all others, my first choice would be film, my second choice would be television, and my third would the stage. And that's heresy to a lot of actors. They will say also that the stage is the lifeblood and the, you know, the rapport with the audience and all that. Which is certainly true. And that is an aspect of theatre I do like, the fact that it's live and it's happening and that it's an experience that we're sharing with the audience. But there is that thing of repetition. And if you're in a successful show, you can be doing the same thing night after night for a year. Now, part of the actor's skill is to be able to do that and keep it fresh. Yes, of course, and we can do it. But I, I personally prefer the stimulus of working very hard on something for television or film, doing it, getting it right, and then moving on to something else. And I, I like the, the additional kind of technical requirements that you have in the theatre and film, in cinema, that you have in television and film. It's very early in all normal business. Because in addition to working on your character, learning the lines, doing all those things of rehearsing, getting it right, you also have to be aware that there are other people around you, like sound men, uh, cameramen, who have certain requirements of you. You have to hit the lights, hit the marks, be in the right place. And I find that uses another part of the brain which isn't used acting in the theatre, where you have a greater degree of latitude as you are in total control of the theatre. And I quite like the the extra disciplines that you impose when you're working in the... uh, mechanical
7: media Colin, is there anything that uh, if you were not an actor had not gone into the acting profession that you would have done as a career?
1: Apart from parachuting, you mean?
7: Yes um,
1: <laughs> Well, I was a lawyer before I was an actor and the reason that I well, the prime reason I left the law was because I wanted to be an actor and the second reason was that I found that the law had little to do with justice, an awful lot to do with lawyers making money, that's going to make me unpopular around the world, isn't it? <laughs> but uh, my sense of justice is too exaggerated to allow me to work in the <laughs> law and uh, I, I suppose I could have been a crusading lawyer but uh, that wasn't in me either I wanted to act um, if I wasn't to act I think I would be in an acting related job I have directed um, mainly abroad I've directed a uh, couple plays in Scandinavia uh, and su- I surprised myself by enjoying it a lot I thought I'd be frustrated by not being on the stage and I actually found that uh, it exercised a few other frustrations that i had as an actor when I thought directors weren't doing things properly and I was always hesitant about trying it myself because I thought maybe I couldn't either but I found actually that I was able to help actors without imposing myself too much on them and create an atmosphere where uh, actors could experiment and still get to the correct result at the end of the day so that, that is something I would like to do later on. in the theatre I'm not really interested in television directing and having said that for acting in television, I suppose that's somewhat of a contradiction, but uh, I think for a director, television is, um, theatre is a more exciting medium, because you can put the play on, go away, and leave it, basically, and come back now and see how it's going. Its life is longer, that's why I suppose. In television, you direct it, it's done once, and it's gone. As a director in a theatre, it's a, it's a living creation that you can come back and shape and send an its way. I would like that.
7: What kind of law did you practice? Curiosity question.
1: I was uh, allegedly a solicitor. And we have a different system in England as we possibly there. They have solicitors and barristers. They're roughly comparable in medicine: general practitioners and specialists. In the sense that the general public can't go to a barrister directly; they have to go to a solicitor. In the same way as they go to a general practitioner doctor, who, if he feels that they need the services of a barrister, will employ them. But they do things like. Uh, by its houses, drawing up wills, representing people in the lower courts.
7: You are such a dynamic and energetic actor. Well, Personal vibe. Quite <laughs> well, thank you Peggy. Well, you're welcome. Thanks. Will we ever possibly get a chance to see Stateside? I realize you have been offered something, but would you ever like to come Stateside to do some work?
1: Oh, Would I ever? Yes. Yes, I'd love to. Every English actor wants to come work in the States, but for many reasons, um, I do have to think the principal reason is that there is a, a, a marked difference between the rewards in two countries. Uh, a successful television actor in England will make a living roughly comparable with a dental assistant. And I don't mean a dentist either, I mean a dental assistant, which is not the case in America. The difference between, let us say, JR, who is arguably uh, one of the best-known faces on American television, and myself, about eight years ago, when on British television I played a very similar part, would I should think be in the region of about 10,000 to 1 in terms of remuneration. I mean, it really is a phenomenal difference. I'm not saying that I consider myself underpaid to that extent, and it may well be that American actors are overpaid, except in an open market, everyone is entitled to what they can negotiate. So, in that respect, yes, obviously, I'd love to yeah, be a very rich person and come over here and do American television. Also, there's a kind of glamour about American television and um, we have the things that we do well which I think are things like Masterpiece, masterpiece Theatre indeed so can American television but where they excel is in programs like Dallas and Dynasty where they can put it on with class and style and bazaars. and that's something that British television either chooses not to do or, or can't do Maybe because of resources but it, it would be wonderful to swan into an episode of uh, Dallas or Dynasty as you call it I'd enjoy that very much.
7: I think it's rather funny that over here we look forward to the Masterpiece Theaters, you know, the new season when they come over, and over there everybody looks forward to New Dynasty and Dallas going over there. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Interesting I mean, cultural exchange.
1: <laughs> it, it is, yes, it does. It's, uh, it's interesting that uh, of what could be called the sort of, I mean, it's not my words, but other people call it trashy gloss, is what we don't make but want, and what you could call the sort of... Uh, the real class production is the stuff that the mega doesn't make that much of, but also wants. Um, maybe we should all do a bit of each other.
7: Over the years watching Doctor Who, you'll see a character and go, Oh, they want masterpiece theater. And you recognize yes. them from that. Because, well, there was once a very scathing article put out by a TV, a national TV magazine, that referred to Doctor Who fans as. What was it? Not watching, not having enough class to watch Masterpiece yeah. Theater or something <clears> like that? <throat> saying that we were... Um, it did not give a very good... Uh, they looked at us as fanatics. And uh, we were no not taste. very intelligent and we had
6: no taste.
1: <laughs> like all generalizations, it falls down on the pathways of generalization. Well, that's stupid said.
7: But the, the bulk of the people watch Masterpiece Theater and, and all creatures don't. great and small and the programs we love to get over that's why i think our pbs stations are so strong because they are the ones that carry those
1: yes kind of enough, an interesting little side note i was just watching a trailer for a Masterpiece theater that's on tonight called the citadel and i saw the trailer i noticed it's the episode that i did mm-hmm. um, <laughs> i was trying to avoid that possible <laughs> if anyone does watch it he was very good in it you're very kind That was the first television I did in about five years. Because after the series I was talking about in which I played a JR character, finished in 1976 in England. Um, I was so sort of firmly typed in that part that I didn't get any television until late 1980, and that was the very first one I got after that.
7: Could you tell us a little bit about Brothers?
1: About the Brothers? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Brothers was a series which was on about 11 years in England. Um, It wasn't on continuously. It was on for season and off and on, yeah. And I came into it just after halfway through. It was a series about three brothers who owned a tr- trucking business, national trucking business, and it was a small company that got bigger and bigger and bigger. And the point I came into it, I was a, a merchant banker who provided the money for the company to make a transition from private to public. And as a part of the deal, I came in as managing director, and gradually did a kind of JR the company, took the whole thing over, and. Didn't, the difference between my character and the Jr, which I thought was quite interesting, was that mine was totally honest, totally legal, totally straight, but utterly ruthless, and used business, uh, rather than uh, devious methods, to eliminate rivals, and did it with great shrewdness and cleverness, and without any emotion whatsoever. He lost out in his private life, much like J.R. does. <laughs> and many people have said that character was a kind of prototype for the, uh, the ruthless business man. Uh, I enjoyed doing it, it was very exciting. And my main protagonist in that show was an actual Kate O'Mara, uh, who has recently joined the ranks of the, the Doctor Who villainesses. And she was playing the kind of good uh, business lady who was up against me. So it's quite nice that Kate and I are now working together occasionally in Doctor Who um, in reverse roles. We're on the other side of the fence of good and evil.
7: Our guest today has been Mr. Colin Baker of uh, the British TV show, Dr. Who, and we thank him very much for being with us and spending this wonderful time with us. Thank you very much.
1: Peggy and Diane, thank you very much. It's been a great honor to be on the Chuck Rab Show talking to you.
7: Thank, thank you him. very much. Chuck Robb Show, WPEB, Philadelphia.
0: And we thank Chuck Robb and the Chuck Robb Show, as well as Peggy and Diane there for interviewing Mr. Colin Baker. And thank you, Mr. Colin Baker, for the interview as well. Once again, this took place in July 1985, and I had the fortunate, and I had the fortune of also interviewing Mr. Colin Baker at that time in that time period in the mid 1980s. He was always, he was always a good interview. He was always gracious with his time, and um, it was always interesting the stories that he had to say and. Um, and and the other things that he had uh, was working on you know either concurrently or um you know his activity with um you know he unfortunately he lost his um his son to sids uh, sudden infant death syndrome and you know he was he was active in that did a lot of um has been doing a lot of volunteer work and um charity work for for that cause uh here in this interview his um his daughter Lucy had just been born i think was 17 she was 17 weeks old here so um if uh, i believe you've seen her in if you saw her most recently during the christmas season uh, doctor who uh the ish doctors reboot there's a scene there with her with with, Doc, with colin baker and um his various um daughters there he has like i think four of them if i'm not mistaken uh, there on the sofa come, well I'm not going to spoil the scene for you but if you haven't seen it yet uh, that's something that you definitely want to catch um, yeah once again that's um, Colin Baker Sixth Doctor um, right in the middle of the hiatus um, I remember um, seeing him back this was in July I remember I, I first saw him I think in February of that year or was it the year before I think it was that year yeah it was that um, it was um a, um, he was appearing at a convention in Pennsylvania, I think. Yes, I, if I'm not mistaken, um, perhaps Chuck Rob was there too. <laughs> I know, so I'll have to ask him about that. Yeah, him and Johnathan Turner were at the, I think, was it Valley Forge? Um, anyway, again, thank you all those that were involved, and we'll be bringing you more of these interviews um, in the near future. So we'll be right back with your feedback is this register open
7: the register light is on isn't it did you find everything you needed
0: yeah i think so
7: what you got here? Let's see: one veggie wrap, three sixty-nine. One latte, three ninety-five. One slice of marble cake, a dollar seventy-five. One Doctor Who monthly magazine, eight ninety-nine. Doctor Who tenth Doctor figure without a pose, nineteen ninety-five. Uh, I take it you're a Doctor Who fan.
0: Yes. Uh, how did you guess?
7: Uh-huh. And what's this? Uh, Doctor Who podcast.
0: It's a podcast. A
7: podcast. There's no price on it.
8: I need a price check. Frank, I need a price check. Please come to the register. I need a price check. Yeah. How much is this
3: podcast?
2: I don't know. I don't see it listed here.
3: Well, I got to know what to charge
0: him for it. Hmm.
1: Well, what do you think it's worth?
0: What do you think this podcast is worth? This podcast is made possible in part by support from listeners like you. I'd like to take this time to thank all our Dr. Who Pachak supporting subscribers. I know um, those that that are still with us. I know we did lose quite some of our subscribers during the hiatus that we were in. Speaking about hiatuses, uh, after Superstorm Sandy hit us, it was a devastating storm. We had to rebuild literally from, from the ground up. You know, we weren't putting out new shows during that time and you know so i i know a lot of our supporting subscribers had fallen off and and I, that's understandable because you know they didn't know if the show was coming back or not and um you know and every time i wanted to give an eta on when the show was coming back uh it turned out that for every you know three steps forward we had to take two steps backwards so progress was um slow and not as quick as i had would like or had anticipated so it just took longer to get to the point of bringing the show back than um you know than i would have liked so uh i would like to remind everyone we haven't since the show's come back you know since uh, you know october of last year uh, we really haven't been asking for people to become potshack supporting subscribers but Um, It's at the point now where we really do need your assistance. And if you would like to voluntarily, you know, become a Podshark supporting subscriber, it will make a tremendous difference and enable us to do to go further and continue the show. Um, So if you enjoyed this this episode and our review episodes and um, you want to. Uh, for us to continue on, we do appreciate that support. It makes, uh, I know it's only a few dollars a month, but it makes a tremendous difference so that we can um, continue to bring you this show. So uh, you, if you would like to find out more about it or to become a member, simply go to our site, pachak.net or ArtTrap.com, and you'll find a banner on the top to become a pachak supporter. And clicking, you know, tapping, clicking that banner will bring you to the page where you can get uh, join or, or find out more information about it. What we'd like to do is um, give extra content for those that are supporting subscribers. So we haven't done an extra show, a, a Dr. Hupacha extra show since we've come back since and so Sandy hit, but that's something that will start soon enough. We have some material that will um, give as extra content to supporting subscribers. Um, Maybe interviews like this. Who knows? Once again, thank you for all those that stood with us. Those that have um, become subscribers since Superstorm Sandy. And in order to get us back to where we were it took a um, it it, it was an undertaking both physically and financially unfortunately. So um, we're we're pretty much very much in a hole right now. So we do, do very much appreciate that support and every little it does help. There's also a donate button on our site, and you can help that way too with any amount you like. And we're back. We're back with feedback. Yes, this is the feedback portion of Dr. Who Podcast. We always enjoy and um, appreciate what you have to say. So we want to hear from you. As always, you can send feedback uh, since this is an audio podcast, the best way to send feedback is uh, via a audio piece of feedback, be it from our PodChock public call box, or you can record something on your own and send it to us at feedback at net. If you have a smartphone, you most likely have a voicemail feature, which, uh, not a voicemail, um, a memo, a voice memo feature, which you can record something, keep it short to about, you know, maybe three minutes or so, and send it to feedback at Podshock.net. Or you can call the Podshock public call box at 206-337-4699. Again, that's 206-337-4699. It's a, um, we don't charge you anything for it, but it is a 206 area code in the U.S., so just be aware of that um, if, if, you know, whatever local carrier charges apply. Anyway, so we look forward to hearing from you. We got uh you could also send us um email as well, though that's not as as fun if it's just if we have to read it on um you know on on the show here. So, uh to that end, we did get two um emails um basically talking about the same thing. So, I'm going to try to consolidate uh both of them instead of sort of repeating myself by reading them both out loud, but uh, one is from Emily Atkinson, another one is from Elise Fenstermacher. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing your your name there. but So both emails are about a new project called A Wild Endeavor. It's a prequel TV show which is based on who is who. So here's one of the emails. Hi, guys. I think you'll love this project. It's called A Wild Endeavor. It will make a Doctor Who prequel TV show. It's a backstory of the Doctor and the Master. But here's the thing. Neither the actors nor the fans know who is who. It involves Olin Rogers, a YouTuber, J. So from Battlestar Galactica and Doctor Who, Daphne Ashbrook from Classic Who, and more familiar faces. So I wanted to ask you if you could go to endeavor, I'm sorry, www.awildendeavor.com. I know you'll love what you'll see. Since you love it and you have such a big hooving audience, if you talked about it or even mentioned it in a podcast, it would be a huge help. Because the project won't happen if fans don't notice it. I saw it and I thought, oh no, what if too few people are exposed to it in time? Talk about it. Thanks, Elise. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about it. <laughs> Actually, what we'll probably do is um, see if we can get you on the show and, and maybe you can talk about it. So, I want to thank Elise and Emily for writing in about that. And again, that's a wild So, check it out. They're trying to create a Doctor Who prequel TV show. So, um, see what it's about. And a wild So, essentially, it's the story of the Doctor and the Master before they became hero and, and foe. <laughs> and the thing is, the trick here is that you won't know which is which. And that's the, the, the interesting play here. Here's a promo for it, which explains even further. Hi,
8: my name is Yiji Cho, and I played Chang Lin, the '96 Doctor Who made-for-TV movie. You may have also seen me in other sci-fi series like Battlestar Galactica, or Sliders, or Stargate. Recently, I had the pleasure of being involved in an amazing Kickstarter campaign where thousands of Doctor Who fans from all over the world came together to put a TARDIS... In orbit, like actually in space. Not only were there actors like myself, uh, but among those thousands of supporters, we also had um, sound and lighting technicians, editors, writers, and, and producers, and set designers, and effects people. Just lots of, of passionate and, and talented people from the industry. And anytime you get all these people together, uh, amazing things can happen. We had everything that it would take to create a brand new original series.
2: I'm a huge fan of of sci-fi. I always have been since I was a kid. Yes,
8: I am actually indeed a sci-fi fan. I remember Tom Baker, and I remember his costume and his long scarf.
7: The one that gets me the most emotional is Father's Day. It's a little embarrassing.
8: So who will we be seeing in the pilot episode? Well, some familiar faces, of course, like truly, uh, and also some incredibly talented young actors as well. Rahul Coley, who's been on EastEnders, and Holby City.
2: Four hours! Four hours! Have I spent getting ingredients for... Do you have any idea what would happen to this lamb if I just let it sit?
8: And a fantastic young stage actor named Alex Zur. Hoganus. No, 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 no. Stemberga La Russa. Well, actually any La Russa was always accompanied by Skeletal genification. These people will be puddles of goo by now. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Sydney Lambert, their companion on this uh, wild endeavor, will be played by Gabriel Dempsey, who you'll also be able to see on HBO's Game of Thrones. There's probably something much more pressing that we need to be talking about right now. Let me just think about what that might actually be. Hmm. Olin Rogers. Uh, Olin will be playing a very interesting recurring character by the name of Greg Allen. Hmm. My impressions
2: of Greg when I first read the script were great. (laughs) What can I tell you about Greg? Just let's not get me started. The pit, the pit, the... (laughs) Jeez. Jeez. I don't have to explain myself to you. Jeez.
8: Too much, actually. I'm involved in it because it's a good script
2: I think the script was actually pretty awesome The characters just jumped straight off the page Intelligent It had a lot of the dark elements Really good
8: fun to read
2: Creative It's got good dialogue It was very witty Slightly quirky
7: It's got its
8: own little twists It was decided early on to do something that, to our knowledge, has never been done before the identities of the two main characters in the show would be kept totally secret from the audience. In fact, the actors playing those characters, they wouldn't even know the true identities.
7: No one's telling me it's not in the script.
8: It's really
2: exciting to not know my character's identity.
8: I think it's pretty unique. I mean, it's I haven't really seen anything like it. Now, some of you are probably looking at these casting choices and you're convinced Uh, that you've already answered the question of who is who.
2: I mean, I thought, because of my ethnicity, that that might be a a telltale sign as to to who I'm playing or who who I'm not playing. It it is on complete lockdown, though. I have absolutely no idea uh, who is who. Uh,
8: Sure, they've filled the pilot with all kinds of clues and everything, but um, some of them are there to deliberately mislead you.
2: I thought I had an inkling at, at one point and then that changed after a few pages and then changed back again. I'm going to just have to get involved, work with the boys and make my own decision. I really hope that, that when I do it's not too harrowing and heartbreaking for
3: me that I get it right.
2: I mean, I was assured by the creative team that, that, the, that both, uh, both the lead characters were an open ethnicity call.
8: I'm interested to see how it's going to be done. I can give you uh, one clue. And that is, um, it has to do with a particularly problematic scene that die hard fans have been trying to explain since January of 1976. A wild endeavor will finally put all those questions to rest. And uh, when it does, you'll realize why you haven't figured out who is who.
2: This uh, project is a, is a great opportunity for the fans to have a lot more uh, input. I think it's pretty cool that the fans are actually, that they're letting fans kind of get involved in an episode. And have a, and have a direct input into, into the creation of this show. It's something that you're starting to see through new media, like online and stuff like that. Whether it be telling friends and family or posting on social networking sites. You can go on Facebook, you can follow us on Twitter, and you can just tell other fans about the project.
8: Uh, These projects are, quite frankly, they, they would never see the light of day without the support of people like you. By involving the fans, that's you by the way, getting your support and casting the series by actually shooting the pilot episode, we'll be bringing this new show to the network, gift wrapped, ready to go with a built-in audience, that's you.
2: I think the biggest way that fans can, can really be a part of this is, is, is the simplest way and it's, it's literally just to spread the word. Help us do Kickstarter and then you'll find out exactly the same time that I do
8: who is king. So please, join us in this wild endeavor. Make your voices heard. Together, we can do this.
0: Once again, the website for it is www.awildendeavor.com. So check it out. What do you think about A Wild Endeavor, this project? Let us know. Send us your feedback or on anything relating to Doctor Who. Once again, you can call our potshock public call box at 206-337-4699, night or day. It works as voicemail, call, leave a message, keep it like around three minutes, no more. Leave a name if you like, just so that we can re, you know refer to you by name. Uh, or you could record your audio message and send it to feedback at net. So that's going to bring us to the end of this episode of doctor who pod and as always uh, i'd like to thank you for listening it's been a delight and uh stay tuned for our next episode which uh we'll be back reviewing another story of doctor who one that we haven't reviewed before it's new it's old it's classic it's well i i'll (laughs) i won't give it away but You'll have to stay tuned for it. And uh, Dave should be back for that and uh, possibly other co-hosts as well. So um, thank you for uh, joining me on this solo adventure and we'll be back next time. So until then, cheers, everyone. You have been listening to Dr. Who Podshock, presented to you by the fan run Dr. Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Dr. Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Dr. Who Podshock theme music by Jeff Smith at thejeffsmith.com. This has been a production of Art Trap Productions and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This podcast is also supported by the PodChalk Podcast Companion app now in the iTunes App Store. Visit ArtTrap.com for more information on this and other podcasts.
5: to
0: you, Oh, why'd you stop it at the best bit?
7: I was rather enjoying that.